Good morning, church. My name is Wandile. My family and I belong to the Carlswell Estate Life Group, and I'll be doing the Bible reading this morning. Our Bible reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 17 to 26. It reads, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought, brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. This is the word of God. Why don't you join me in a word of prayer before we come to God's word. Our Heavenly Father, as always, all we come to you with is our need. Uh, we need our Father in heaven. And so we, we long for you to meet with us this morning through your Son and in the power of your Spirit. Please speak to us, Father. Please speak to us. Give us ears to hear. And please, Lord, will you change us by your Spirit so that we leave here marveling at our God, praising our God. We leave here in awe of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and full of zeal to live for him, with hearts overflowing with love, his love for us, that we might love others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage that Wandile read for us throws out a mystery for us to consider. We might put it like this. How does the Chinese church grow from less than a million people to over 60 million people in just six decades? And not just any six decades, the six decades of the Cultural Revolution. Six decades of the most intense persecution. Half a century of brutal oppression coinciding with a 6,000% explosion in the number of Chinese people confessing Christ as king. How does that happen? How does a young Syrian woman born into a Muslim family end up sharing her passion for Jesus at a church in Midrand when that passion cost her all connection with her extended family? How does that happen? What do we do with the distressing news that 13 Christians will die today? 
simply for their faith. And that persecution for being a Christian is rising faster on the African continent than anywhere else in the world. What do we do with Afordia? A Christian Nigerian healthcare worker whose husband was executed by Boko Haram. When the extremists rounded up all the men in the village, they asked them, are you a Muslim or are you an infidel? And his response, and what I can only believe, is a response inspired by the Holy Spirit. His response was just brilliant. He says, I'm neither a Muslim nor an infidel. I'm a Christian. And then he knelt down on the street to pray. And we can only imagine what happened next. What do we do with that? What good can possibly come from the oppression and suffering of God's people? If there is any good, how does it come about? Our passage today is going to give us some insight. It's not going to answer all our questions. It's not going to numb all of the pain. But it will give us lenses through which to view what is happening in the world. We're going to look at this passage under three headings. The world's opposition, God's providence, and our obedience. The world's opposition, verse 16 and 17. God's providence, verses 19 and 20. Our obedience, verse 21. First we come to the world's opposition. You can pick it up in Acts chapter 5, verse 14. Read there with me. It's important context. Uh, So we pick it up in verse 14. More than ever, believers were being added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Then people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and all were healed. But the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. This is the second time the apostles are being arrested for being associated with this Jesus movement. It's clear when we compare it to the first incident in Acts chapter 4, and you can go and have a look. It's clear when we compare the two that the opposition is growing. The opposition is intensifying. In the first arrest, it was just Peter and John. Now it's all the apostles. The first trial ended with warning and then release. The second trial ends with a beating and a death threat. The opposition is escalating. That's true as a rule, by the way. When the church grows, opposition grows. Opposition may not always come from the surrounding culture, but certainly the spiritual opposition will grow. A leader will get sick. A marriage will break down. A very active member in the church family will get trapped in some awful sin. Satan doesn't like growing churches. Whenever the church grows, we can expect the opposition to grow with it. And that's been our experience, by the way, in this local church. Whenever this church has gone, by the grace of God, has gone through a a season of growth, it seems to be matched with a season of intense spiritual conflict, manifesting in the ways I've just described. The opposition in Acts chapter 5 was led by a religious group, they were actually a political group, more than they were religious, called the Sadducees. 
Now, the Pharisees, you would have heard of the Pharisees. We read about them in the Gospels. They led the opposition against Jesus himself because most of his ministry took place outside of Jerusalem, where they were in charge. But the Sadducees controlled Jerusalem. They cut a deal with the Romans to serve Roman interests. And in that deal, they were given charge of the capital city. So they were obviously upset by this new sect called the Way that centered around an outsider from some obscure town in Galilee. This person isn't even known to Jerusalem. Miraculous things are happening. Ordinary people, nobodies, people on the fringes are being loved and served and cared for. The movement is growing every single day as the name of this king is being proclaimed. As the church grew, so the threat grew. The threat to this local political establishment, the Sadducees, in their marriage of convenience with Rome. As multitudes flowed into the church, so the tide of jealousy grew. They were politicians, and so they responded like politicians. They used power to apply pressure to their rivals and to preserve their own position. I'm going to borrow from one social commentator who calls this the law of violence. And by violence, he doesn't just mean physical violence. He means anything that involves using power against. Right. So whenever I use my power against another person, that's the law of violence at work. I'm sure I don't need to convince you that's the fuel our world runs off. That's the operating system of our world, the law of violence. And that's exactly what we see at work in how the political establishment dealt with the early church. We see a very calculated escalation of power against. First, they attack the leader of the movement and have him executed on false charges. When that fails, they imprison his closest allies. When that fails, they imprison the whole of his inner circle. Jesus, then Peter and John, then all the apostles. And these actions are made very public, intentionally so, to send a threatening message to the rest of the movement. Crucifixion was a very public death by design. It's designed to intimidate. The apostles are thrown into a public prison designed to intimidate. It's a very careful and calculated escalation of power against the church in order to crush her and intimidate her But here's the thing, it has the opposite effect. And that's the extraordinary thing that we're grappling with this morning. It has the opposite effect. Why? How? How can the church in China grow by 6,000% during one of the most intense and brutal seasons of persecution the church has ever known? How does that happen? Why does violence not do what it normally does when it's applied to the church? Why does violence, the law of violence, end up working backwards? End up having the opposite effect. It's supposed to kill the church. It grows the church. How? The answer we find in verses 19 and 20 is in what we call God's providence. Now, God's providence is his mostly hidden hand of 
power and presence and guidance on the events of history towards his purposes. That's what we mean by God's providence. Sometimes it's visible action. Mostly the hand of God's providence is hidden. He's ordering the events of history towards his purposes. That's what we mean by providence. Let's have a look at an example, verses 19 and 20. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. The Sadducees used their power to put the apostles into prison. A greater power brought them out. The power of man put Jesus into the tomb. The power of God brought him out. God opens the doors of the prison just like he rolled away the stone in front of the tomb. In the end, the law of violence cannot win. It won't win because this is God's world. And God's world works in God's way, by God's decree. And God is love. If violence is power exercised against others, love is power exercised for others. That's how God exercises his own infinite power for others. He's designed the whole world to run off the same fuel. This is the law of love. And it was love that provoked and threatened the political establishment of Jesus' day. When you use power to keep people down, there is nothing more threatening than somebody else using power to lift people up. Nothing more threatening. People were being healed and set free. Vulnerable people, ordinary people, powerless people, people on the margins. That's the power of love, and it's very threatening if you don't have it and you don't understand it. The Sadducees didn't. They responded with what they understood. They responded with violence. But the law of love will always trump the law of violence. In fact, and this is the power of providence, in his infinite power, God can actually take violence and turn it to serve the purposes of love. It's extraordinary. We don't understand it. It's called providence. He can take violence and turn it. He can take evil and turn it to serve the purposes of good. The best example we have of that is the cross of Christ. At the cross, violence, evil, did its worst. Violence murdered the king of glory. By the law of violence, death was meant to mean defeat. But by the power and love of God, death meant victory. The cross was supposed to end in death, but it ended in the death of death. It ended in life. Violence burnt itself out at the cross. There's nothing more you can do to a person than kill them. Once you've killed them, that's all you can do. But what if that death frees others, emancipates others, brings others to life? What if that death is in fact a laying down of life for the sake of others? What happens then? 
all that hatred and that evil serves love and love wins. It's a kind of a spiritual judo. The more you hate God and oppose his purposes, the more he uses that for love. The more force you apply against God and his people, the more force God has at his disposal to use in the services of love. That's what the cross is. And there is no answer. There is no greater power. As I said, you can kill someone. What else can you do? Violence has a very clear limit. But love has no limits. None. We see that same power, that same judo at work for the apostles. But notice that in exercising his loving power, God doesn't just preserve and protect the apostles. He also commands and equips. He doesn't just free the apostles. He sends them out into the public square. He turns defense into attack. It's spiritual judo. He frees them and he sends them out with a message. Verse 20, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. What are the words of this life? In Acts 3.15, Luke calls Jesus the author of life. Jesus called himself the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. This life is life in him. The words of this life are an invitation to life in him. And this life is not a moral code or a community project or a spiritual technique. It is sharing in his actual resurrection life by the power of his spirit. Remember, we were dead to God. Each and every one of us, dead to God in our sins and transgressions. Now we are alive by the power of Jesus' resurrection and his spirit in our lives. This life is participating in the relationship of the Son to the Father. Imagine that. We are invited in to the eternal bond of love between the Father and the Son as adopted sons and daughters of the Father. This life is being raised from the death of our sin now and raised physically into new resurrection bodies when he returns. By his spirit, we share in his risen, ascended victory over death now and for eternity. And that's why, in the end, the law of violence can never win. What's true of your king, if Jesus is your king, is true of you. They can kill us. But God's love for us means we will rise from the dead. And our death will serve the purposes of love. Back to our story. God frees his apostles from prison. He frees them on a mission of love. They are freed into the public square. Did you notice they are free to do Precisely the thing that got them thrown into prison in the first place. Did you notice that? I'm freeing you, now just go and do what got you into prison in the first place. Can you imagine? But this is so often the way of providence. 
And this is so often the call of obedience on our lives. God, whatever the crisis, whatever the tribulation, whatever the trial, God seldom saves us out. He saves us through. He walks us through. The call of obedience, the mystery of God's providence, is that he, precisely the thing that's causing trouble, trial, tribulation, pain in our lives, he invites us through, not out, but through. He stands with us in the fire. He takes hold of your hand and he walks you through the valley of the shadow of death. This is the power of God's providence. In the apostles' case, he calls them to do the very thing that landed them in prison in the first place. He calls them to share the words of this life in the marketplace. The life-giving words of the gospel. The message of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. They must go and proclaim the free invitation to give your allegiance to this king who died to save you from your rebellion against him. It's the greatest expression of God's love for his people that he would die for us while we were still his enemies. He had the power to obliterate us. By the law of violence, he should have obliterated us. That's how the law of violence works. But that's not how the law of love works. And that's not how he uses his power. He uses his power for his enemies. In dying for his enemies, he gives us the free gift of life. And violence has no answer to that. None. Violence has no answer to love. The apostles are now set free with the words of this life. It's probably a good time to mention what this passage is not teaching. Because there's a trap for us to fall in here, isn't there? The message is not, if you have enough faith, God has the power to open doors for you in your life. What prison are you in? Is it a diagnosis? Is it a dead-end job? What obstacle are you facing? Financial, relational? What iron door has been slammed in your face? Do you have enough faith? Because if you do, God has the power to open those doors. That's not the message. Of course he has enough power. But that's not what this passage is teaching. And that's not what he uses his power for. The point is not that God will use his power to open doors in our lives, the doors of our choosing. By the way, remember this when we tempted to Read it that way. Remember that half of Paul's letters are written from prison. The Apostle John writes the whole book of Revelation from a prison island. Are we saying that God didn't have the power to set them free or that the Apostles didn't have enough faith to access that power? No. God uses his power for his purpose. And his purpose is to advance the kingdom of love through the words of this life. God exercises his power to advance the kingdom of Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. Sometimes that means leaving someone in prison. As Paul himself writes, from prison, 
I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, my imprisonment, has actually served to advance the gospel. This is the providence of God. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Do you see? The gospel makes its way into the heart of the Roman Empire. How? Through Paul's imprisonment. Because the imperial guard get to hear the gospel and they spread it throughout the palace. As the Apostle John writes, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Why was he there? Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He's in prison. What happens to him in prison? The word of God and the testimony of Jesus comes to him. We know it is the book of Revelation. For both Paul and John, God uses prison to share the words of this life and to advance the kingdom. It's the extraordinary providence of God. It's back to front. It's upside down. It's reversing the current of this life. It's inverting the law of violence. God can use the freedom of the temple. We know that from the rest of Acts, from what we've already read. But he can also use the limits of a prison cell. And often he will choose to use the prison cell because he wants to show the victory of love over violence. Do you see that? Love proves itself even more powerful in the face of violence. The more you persecute the church, the more it responds with love and not violence, the more the message of love spreads. The the more the message of God's love for his enemies spreads, the more the church grows as those enemies are drawn by cords of love into his family. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the power of God. The extraordinary, mysterious power of God, the providence of God, the power of the gospel. He doesn't use his power against his enemies. He uses his power for his enemies. How do we respond? In a word, obedience. Look at verse 21. When they heard this, in other words, go back out into the public square and do the very thing you were doing that got you thrown into this prison. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Their obedience is instant, and it comes with an almost instant cost. The law of violence responds the only way it can with more violence. Verse 25, and someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. The apostles are effectively arrested for the third time. But notice they don't resist arrest. And they could, because the fickle crowd is now with them. By the law of violence, they could have whipped up this mob into some sort of mob justice and had the captain and his officers stoned. 
it was a very charged situation. The captain and his officers recognized it. These are men who understand the law of violence, and they understand that the law of violence has turned against them. And they are very vulnerable. What do the apostles do? Because by the law of violence, they can certainly seem to gain the upper hand here. They don't do that. They don't match the power against them with more power in the opposite direction. They obey the law of love. They use power for, not against. They follow their master and out of love instead of violence, they submit to the authorities. We're going to see next week that submission to authorities is not always the right and loving thing to do. But here, in this context, obedience to God and obedience to the authorities is one and the same thing. They follow the law of love. And we are called to imitate them as they imitate Christ. Let me try and boil it all down for us. What is God saying to us here this morning through this passage? It's reminding us of three things. The world's opposition. The world will oppose the gospel. That is inevitable. In our more comfortable suburban setting, it will oppose the gospel in more subtle ways. But there will always be opposition. Secondly, God is with us by his often unseen hand of providence. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. Thirdly, we are called to obedience. We are called to faithful endurance in the face of that opposition because that is precisely what God will use to win his enemies and to love them. In this life, disciples of Jesus will face opposition. As I said Ours is not the intense persecution of the Chinese church or the kind of overt, brutal oppression of being thrown into prison simply for your faith, being executed on a street side as you proclaim the name of Christ and pray to him. Ours is not that, but we will face opposition. We will. We are a threat to worldly powers and they will relate to us the only way they know how. By exercising power against. We will face opposition. And we are called to be faithful. Especially in our context of easy suburban Christianity. We are called to be faithful. We will face that opposition. The second thing we need to know is that we will never face it alone. Ever. God Almighty is for us. Who can be against us? Nothing can oppose God. Nothing can keep the gospel from going out. Nothing can stop the advance of the kingdom because nothing can separate us from the love of the king. As the apostle says, neither tribulation nor distress nor persecution nor famine nor nakedness nor danger nor sword. Not even our own disobedience or unfaithfulness or cowardice or weakness. Think of the apostle Peter. Nothing can separate us from the love of the king. This is the church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. Brothers and sisters, you are the church. Your king has set you free. And now he's calling you to take the words of this life into the marketplace. 
It's the supreme act of love for those who are still his enemies. You will face opposition. Some of them will hate you. Some of them will openly persecute you. But whatever they do, whatever they do, in the end they cannot stop you. Even in losing, we win. Because no matter what the enemies of the gospel do to us, we can always, always respond in love. Our king has showed us, in no uncertain terms, that love has no limits. None. And so in the end, love wins. We can fight every battle, no matter how fierce, we can fight every battle with courage and confidence because he has won the war. Let's pray and ask him for the power to obey. Father, your son has told us that in this world we will face opposition. Thank you for warning us and preparing us. Thank you that you never abandon us. Thank you that even in our suffering you bless us. Ours is the kingdom of heaven. In persecution, not apart from it. Thank you for always providing a way through. Thank you for Jesus who has overcome evil with good, hatred with love, power against with power for. Thank you that in him, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, victory is ours. Father, that victory gives us everything we need to share the words of this life with others. Help us by your spirit to use our freedom for that purpose. And finally, Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters everywhere who are suffering intense, deep, personal persecution for their faith. Father, be with them in a special way. Remind them daily that there is nothing in all creation that can separate them from your love in Christ Jesus. Comfort them, we pray. And give them a deep assurance that in the end, love wins because he has won. Amen.